Good day, I'm Mark Sylvester, your host for this Hacking the Red Circle conversation, where we talk to people in the TEDx world you'll want to know better. The show is designed to learn what it takes to produce, organize, promote, and create a world-class event. If you're an experienced organizer, you'll get some great tips. Veteran organizers share lessons they've learned so that first-timers can avoid common missteps. There are hundreds of amazing people in the TEDx universe, and we talk to a lot of them. If this is your first time to the show, welcome. We produce Hacking the Red Circle every week. You'll want to subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. Now, on with the show. So today I've got Aaron Sylvan with me. Aaron, you're TEDx Fulton Street, New York City. Welcome to the show. That's right. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm so glad you're, uh, you know, one of the first in my, uh, you know, my, my inaugural uh, set of episodes. And uh, we met uh, a little while back and uh, really liked your vibe on how you think about what you're doing with TEDx Fulton Street. Tell us, um, so that our listener can get a little bit, you know, background on you and, and then why don't we go into like, What's the origin story of you and TEDx? Sure. Well, thank you very much for the kind words about uh, about me and my event. Um, my, um, for me, this journey began around uh, 1997 when I went to my first TED conference, and um, you know I had heard I had heard about this secret place where right. brilliant people go who um, who have shaped the world in terms of technology, entertainment, and design. And that there was a secret invite-only conference, yep. and that it was great, and that I couldn't go. So, um, uh, so, uh, so that was course, Monterey, right? That was in Monterey. That's yeah. right. And and so, of course, uh, once I heard that, I, I I had to, and I made it my, um, you know, made it my mission. And um, and then I, I discovered that, uh, that that you needed to apply to go, and I discovered that it was fairly expensive. But um, at the time, I was um, I was building a software company that uh, was using artificial life to solve business problems, and mm-hmm. um, I, in my application to attend, I guess uh, that was interesting enough that I was allowed to get a ticket. And um, once I was behind uh, behind the door and, right. uh, and right. actually, you know, given admission to this world, I found. Um, I felt like someone had just given me the uh, the backstage pass of a lifetime. Right. So, so uh, old time Tetsters will know this. Did you have a red badge or a blue badge? Were you in the main <laughs> hall or in the simulcast? I had a main hall badge. Oh, nice. Because the blue people, Richard used to call them the bluish. You're bluish, and you have to stand <laughs> in line. It was just, it was hilarious. So that was '97. Now, did you keep going every year, or did I you did. go once? You did. I did. So, um, so yeah, every year uh, through, uh, I went through 2006 or seven, I think 2006. Um, and uh, every year I said, those were the best four days of my life. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I knew it was a thing to look forward to. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, um, you know, for, for me, it was about having, uh, you know, having my mind blown more ways than, uh, than ever before. Uh, and also having the opportunity to meet my uh, meet my idols and to feel like I've gotten to know them and to see right. to see an inside um, view of um, of what the world is like through the eyes of these people who made our world. And you then uh, were there from the transition from when Richard was running it to when Chris bought it in two thousand two, and you got the first few mm-hmm. years of that. But you didn't go to. Did you ever go to Long Beach? 
No, I was never in Long Beach. Although I did do, um, I did go uh, in 2012. I did TED Active, under, uh, which was up in Whistler. Oh no, that was in Palm Springs. That was in Palm Springs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, now, and so okay, so how did you get the TEDx bug? Was it at Active? Well, you know, I back in maybe around 2003 or four, um, I was spending my summers out in Aspen, and um, which is also a community of very interesting sure, people. Sure. And you know, at the Aspen Institute, they have something called Ideas Festival that yep. is like TED in some ways, although. Um, uh, maybe a bit more politics and a bit less technology, and um, and to me it was uh, Aspen Ideas was a lot closer to a conventional conference, whereas TED was like nothing else on the planet. Right, exactly. So um, so I started inviting people to um, uh, to my family's home for what I was uh, calling TED Aspen unofficially before. Okay. I know there actually is a TED Aspen, and that yes, was there is. Um, the what what I'm talking about was maybe a couple of dozen people invited to our home for what would now be called a viewing party, right. um, and what's now allowed under the TEDx license. But the, at the time, of course, there there was no TEDx. So I just you know I would go to the conference and see sixty presentations and wait for the DVDs to come in the mail. Yep. Yep. They yep. Three months back. later. Yep. That's right. If you're lucky, yeah. Yep. And yep. and then I would pull out maybe the twelve uh, or fifteen that I thought were the the most extraordinary, create a through line, invite a few dozen people, and um, and we'd make a day of it watching uh, watching one of these. Uh, so that was when I caught the TEDx bug, even though the TEDx program didn't exist until 2009. Right. Um, and at, at that time, I was busy. You know, I've, I've been, um, my background is building software companies, and um, I've been involved in numerous ventures in my life. When the TEDx program was introduced was not a good time for me. Mm, uh, mm. But, uh, I mean, it was it was a good time, but it was not a good time for me to take on that sort of activity. But in uh, in 2013, I was finishing up a project that had been um, that had taken maybe a year and a half. I was fortunate enough to have an exit and sell that project, which put me out of my own job in the beginning of 2014. And um, I, in anticipation of that, I thought it would be a perfect time in my life to do the TEDx. Uh, TEDx project, and um, so so I've been dreaming about hosting TED or something like <laughs> this, you know, since since maybe uh, the third TED that I went to is wow, really, um, Ricky Werman has the best job on the planet. I know, I know, it it, it is absolutely amazing. How how so? You've done you did 2014, 2015, 2016, and you're That's slated right. for 2017. Yeah, actually, I don't know the 2017 calendar yet. I've been we've been experimenting with format and size and venue and some of these things a right, little bit. So, right, right. yes, yeah, so we did the last three years, and we'll do something coming up. But I don't now, know. Now, have you it. have you done salons or youth or women or any of the other light types of TEDx's that you can do? Our 2016 was a salon. It was uh, a salon. That's right. So technically, I did two I did TEDx Fulton Street 2014, 2015, and TEDx Fulton Street Salon in 2016. Now, uh, the salon, you need to do three of them. Is that right? So did you have to do three or did you were able to just do one? That was right. They, they wanted you to commit to three. I spoke with them and um, uh, they really, they are very flexible about making sure that the TEDx program works for the organizers. Right. So right. Um, I, I, um, I pretty much explained that I didn't really want to do the rest of the series. And uh, they were fine with that. They said uh, you can do as they said. What they're more concerned with is the maximum, the the, the cap. Right, right. That, uh, but they don't want any. They don't want TEDx organizers to feel as if 
um, uh, as if there's some minimum threshold mm, where mm, mm. if it's becoming a burden to do the production, they said, you know, then take a year off. We won't take yeah, away yeah, your yeah. life. Right. No, I, I like that. Uh, Will and, and the team there are quite great in that. So one of the things that's interesting about TEDx, because I'm um, insatiably curious about them, and because they're, I'm introduced to new places all the time, and there's, you know, there's a, some, certain things, there's a format for sure, and there are certain things that you see that are common to all, but each curator, organizer, licensee, producer, however we call ourselves, mm-hmm. puts a, a flavor on it. And, yes. you know, it's that, whatever those rules are, I mean, there's no rules on what you have to do, so it's however you're approaching it. What, what makes TEDx Fulton Street uniquely Fulton Street? Yeah, okay. So I think um, on, on this spectrum of, of ways that people choose to curate, um, the, um, I would say that, that for one thing, there's, there, are, there's, there are two ways of looking, two big ways of looking at, um, at, at, at TED curation, at the, the decision of what goes onto the stage. Um, one is to say that TED is about um, creating a community forum where people from a local area who have interesting thoughts have the opportunity to present those thoughts in um, in a particular format in a type right, you know, in right. A type of media, right so 15 20 minutes talk on a stage right, 15 18 minutes talk on a stage uh, in a uh, with a carefully prepared presentation to you know, to the local community so the idea sharing forum is one style and um, and then another way of looking at it is that it's an opportunity to meet extraordinary people mm. and that it's right so some even though the slogan is ideas worth spreading um, now I mean the old timers like me think that slogan is technology entertainment and design and but more recently it's ideas worth spreading that's what my tattoo but, says technology yeah, entertainment design oh, oh, oh right, right. <laughs> uh, but um uh, to to me, what what drew me in initially was not the ideas that somebody was presenting, but uh, but who was presenting them. Mm. I think the, mm. the uh, who it is is uh, is totally vital to this process, and that the the subtext, the uh, the, the the additional slogan, or the other half of it that is not always understood is I think it's ideas worth spreading by people worth hearing. Oh, I um, love that. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I love that. That's my new t-shirt. It <laughs> right. is worth spreading by people worth knowing. Yeah, I, I think the, um, so, it, and for me, sometimes, sometimes the best presentations are not, I think, um, you know, it's, to me, it's not theater and it's not um, an open forum for, uh, for philosophical debate by whomever. It's, it's, um, what makes the content extraordinary is who it's coming from. Mm-hmm. One of the, mm-hmm. I was, uh, w- one of the presentations in twenty uh, last year that that I liked the most was uh, was from Linus Torvalds, uh, the creator of Linux and that Git. was ch- that was right? and that was challenging for him, wasn't it? It was. It was. He's. I mean, I, no disrespect to the gentleman, but he's a terrible presenter. He really didn't have anything to say, and his, his presence was awkward. I see why the guy never really comes out. This is not his thing. Now, what his thing is, is that he 
pretty much single-handedly is responsible for the operating system that, uh, that drives the entirety of the internet and for the, uh, and for the code sharing platform that drives the entirety of software development. This is one of the most important people He's a hero. Yeah. in the technology industry in, in every way. I mean, and plus he made all this free. I mean, it's, he could be, uh, he could be, it seems like he could be in Gates League. So to have the opportunity to see what was inside of his mind and how he thinks, we saw these, He's little, he put up little photos of his office and, and right, talked about yeah, painted yeah, green yeah. so he can concentrate. Right? Yeah. So this wasn't theatrical, and um, and he didn't really have an idea worth spreading. <laughs> um, but it was the opportunity to meet him that made that so special. Um, so so, so what think, makes it unique then is is you're not just looking at the idea; you're looking at the person as who's the, the vessel. Right. So I, 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 I should apologize a little since I answered something that wasn't quite exactly your question. Um, what, what, makes, okay. what, what makes mine, my particular flavor is entrepreneurship. I mean, my, oh. uh, my background has been in building businesses and it's my interest. It's my community. It's, it's who I'm the most uh, connected to um, uh, in, terms of, uh, in terms of my own network and my interests. So my audience um, in the financial district, um, which is uh, of which Fulton Street is the hub of Manhattan, uh, we have a lot of startups and a lot of new uh, technology companies, media companies, and entrepreneurs. And um, and in order to appeal to my audience, I bring in um, some of my slant or the people who are coming are people who have created very unusual businesses that have wow. been successful in them. Um, so you know we had what. In 2015, one of our speakers was um, was uh, was one of the world's most successful treasure hunters. He um, recovers sunken gold and silver from the bottom of the ocean. I totally um, got to meet that guy. How we also had some big, it was very fun. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, we also had a, a former uh, uh, a former drug kingpin who smuggled illegal narcotics and spent a lot of time in prison. Um, and um, we also had, on the other hand, from the design perspective, we had somebody who created a typeface that makes it so people with dyslexia can read better. Um, and we had somebody who's using satellite imagery to detect uh, violations of human rights overseas in foreign countries to hold them accountable. Wow. Um, the, that was last year. This year, some of my favorites were that um, you know um, a woman who uses um, uses real nuclear weapons and firearms to create paintings and sculpture, um, and uh, wow. we had um, we had the woman. Who, the theme was things you can't have. So of course she has nuclear weapons. That's something most people can't have. Um, and uh, someone else who created a new form of currency that's not attached to any government, and. Um, uh, someone else created some of the world's most exclusive nightclubs. So these are people, uh, except with the exception of the uh, the artist, the, the painter, sculptor. These are people who have made businesses that are special in some way. And um, so part of the value is hearing what they have to say, which is often just an origin story or how they did it or what motivates right. them, right. or seeing what's what was in their head or why they do what they do. Um, and um, uh, and then, of course, getting to actually meet them. My, my audience comes in person because they want to have the opportunity to meet the folks who I've brought onto the stage. One of the unique parts about TED, right, is you could be sitting right next to the speaker and not know who that person is because it's not a famous name, right? You know, it's like, oh my gosh, at, at, I was sitting next to that guy the whole day. At, at my very first TED, in, in one of the very first sessions, the guy who was sitting next to me who elbowed me and asked if he could borrow my pen was the founder of America Online. See? And, 
uh, and, and it wasn't just that one instance. It was, you know, four days of that standing online next to uh, next to Ben Cohen from Ben and Jerry's and uh, having a drink at the party with the guy from, from uh, the founders of Wired magazine. And, and I, I'm not dropping names on uh, on purpose, but it's I think that that making an audience, I'm sorry, making a speaker lineup uh, that people are excited and feel privileged to meet is an important part of the experience. It's what I got from Big Ted and what I try to bring to to my little TEDx. I like, I like that Big Ted, Little Ted. Um, yeah. I, I'm interested in, I think, of five different, like, big buckets that as an organizer we're in charge of. I think of organizing, producing, marketing, curating, and partnering. And there's a hundred things under each of those little buckets. Sure, sure. I, I understand those five, though, and those have perhaps similar size in terms of the amount of effort or importance that needs to go into them. So which one do you gravitate towards or do you feel like you have a superpower in? <laughs> I, I think uh, organizing, uh, yeah. organizing people. What, um, what I found with the first, um, the first uh, uh, TEDx that I, that I did was that um, it, pretty much every time some, I would become aware of some task or aspect that needed to be addressed, um, instead of trying to do it myself, I said, okay, now who's going to do this? Mm. What kind of person would be interested in this? You know, so who, who would have the desire and who would have the skills? And, um, and how can I persuade them to do this in terms of, you know, as much as I like to think that it's my, my energy and my charm and my charisma. Um, but, you know, but really everyone needs to get something out of it. So... So everyone on the team needs to get something out of it. Yes. And how, do you, right. how do you how do you position that? Well, so it depends what exactly it is that they're doing, uh, what, what the role is. So in the case of raising uh, uh, raising sponsorship money, uh, for instance, uh, we paid someone on commission, and what they got out of it was cash. Um, on the other hand, uh, we had a partnership for uh, for publicity where the uh, the PR firm was very excited to volunteer their services because it gave them access to our speakers. Um, oh. And uh, right, and just having the opportunity to uh, to be close to our event, and um, and for and having the opportunity for them to go to their media outlets and uh, and invite you know offer their media pass, uh, that's that's sort of win win for both. The PR firm right. uh, likes to be partnered with a TEDx, so I got a bunch of services for free, and they got to um, you know, PR firms. It's their job to go nag reporters for things and bug journalists. So uh, so they were very excited that they got to offer some of their journalists press passes to my event. I get a little bit of coverage. So the journalist gets a story and a, um, uh, and a boondoggle and uh, the PR firm gets to be a hero and I get free PR services. So everybody's happy. Um, when you, you so, talked uh, earlier, I mean, is curating also a superpower for you or is 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 because you said organizing right off the bat, but we started by talking about curating, like what you bring to the stage is really important. Do you do that or do you have someone help with that? So that varies. Um, the, uh, I, and I do think that it's very important, um, but in part, um, the reason I said organizing instantly is because um, the, for, my, for me, the first step in each, uh, in each part of these, including like the curation, was to say, okay, who do I know who knows a lot of super interesting people? Mm -hmm. right, so um, one of the, um, there's a, there's a, um, 
I, I have an advisory board member that, that owns a modeling agency who is very well connected to the entertainment industry. Um, and so she knows people that, that, that I don't. And um, uh, from my own business activities, I know a fair number of venture capital folks and angel investors. So uh, I can go to them and say, put the word out. Hey, yeah, I could say, say, um, say, hey, you know, there's, I want to show some really cool piece of technology. Often what will happen is that my team will, uh, will, we will think among ourselves of what kind of people we want to have or what kind of content. So we'll say, well, we know that we want an architect who's done a really cool infrastructure project in the city. So now who knows architects? Does anybody know an architect? And then somebody's got an uncle or somebody's right. connected on right. dinner. Somebody's with city hall. So um, usually the process starts that way. Um, I did also set up a mechanism on, we got so many unsolicited inquiries that I right. set up a rather detailed and, and almost aggressively challenging application form. Um, I would that, love to see that. Cause that's, uh, that Golden, is Golden street.com slash nominate. I tell people, I, that's I, a tell challenge. People, I tell people right off, I say, you can nominate yourself. Don't lie to me that you're your friend. Right. Just, just do it. And, and it's okay if you're a publicist. Um, and, but, um, but on the other hand, I think it's important to set expectations. And one of the things that TEDx event, I feel have TED and TEDx have a responsibility to do is never before seen content. Um, so the person who tells me that they're a professional speaker or that their client is a professional speaker, or somebody says, uh, says I've given this talk a hundred times around the country, and I say, good, then you don't need to be 101 with me. Um, this is- Are you uh, hard and fast on that or if, and the reason I ask that is because I'm, you know, the, the Ted commandments, right? Um, be vulnerable, don't sell, but tell a story you've never told before. So it might be someone who's been on the Ted stage and they're a proven quantity uh, or commodity, but that they're going to tell you a new story, something they haven't told before. Oh, the person can be can be reused. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't mind that a person has been that a person is visible. Um, in fact, you know, at the end of the day, I, I have to the events of work. I have to sell tickets. Yeah, right. And for me right. to sell tickets, I gotta I have to ask my audience to trust me with their money and with time out of their day. Yeah. And for uh, for business owners, usually the time is more expensive than the money, especially since TEDx tickets are cheap. But uh, but they're trusting me with both, and they have to know that I'm going to give them something that's really worth their time and money. And um, uh, those they they want to meet people who are famous, or at least whose projects are famous. Um, what's what's been the biggest surprise for you? Um. The biggest surprise for me, I would say, is in um, falls in the curation, and it's uh, it is just how bad some presentations can be. Uh, <laughs> the, the, you know, in in particular, there are people who I mean, I'm, I'm really I'm not going to call out names. Yeah, shape, don't bust anybody. But I, it's not it's not about that. But but what I would say to other organizers, or especially first timers. The, repeat organizers have already seen this, but is that um, uh, just because someone's background appears to qualify them very well for doing this, yeah. doesn't mean they're going to do very well. Um, the, there can be an individual who spends a lot of time on, on television or on stage or on a speaker circuit or, or doing things that really look very closely related and, uh, or, or running a business. I mean, a lot of uh, big business owners, you can't be the CEO of a substantial company without a lot of public speaking. And um, uh, so some of these people, I might have, uh, I, I might have believed them when they said, "Trust me," 
Um, and also some of them will be very pushy if they're, if they're um, <clears throat> sorry, a big enough v, uh, VIP will say, uh, you know, doesn't want to hear it from the organizer about what they are and aren't allowed to do or whether they will or won't have their content reviewed or whether they need coaching. But uh, so it's, it's easy to get bullied by a big personality who says, I know what I'm doing and uh, give me the mic and step out of my way. But, um, but the fact is that if they haven't prepared, if you haven't seen them deliver their talk in however many minutes they're supposed to have, if you're giving someone a nine minute slot or a 15 minute slot, um, I, my advice I would say is, is get them on Skype and uh, start a stopwatch and say, you have 15 minutes, do the thing you're gonna do on stage. You know, if, and, and really what I'd recommend is a lot more working with them than that. But if you can't get that minimum out of them, then what that means is that they're not prepping. And if they're not prepping, then what that means is that they're gonna fail because TED we dis, audience, we disinvite them. Is what yeah, the TED audience expects a polished presentation. That's what the format is. It's not a ramble. It's not an unprepared um, uh, chat on a panel. And it's not, um, you know, this. I have presenters all the time say, uh, say I, I've been, I, I have a forty-minute talk and I do it all the time. So I'm just going to do that. And I say, no, no, you have, you, know, you have twelve minutes. Right. They say, well, I'll just do it fast. Or I'll, I'll hit the key point and. and no. This is this this is not acceptable. These are the people who run over there a lot of time and who bore the audience, um, and and or who go off topic, or you have to do a ton of post production to make it even remotely presentable. Um, and what I've found is some pe some presenters uh, will be very pushy about this, um, and I, I will let some uh, get away with pulling that nonsense. But it has to be. Because, you know, if, if, if God himself offers to do a talk, sometimes you have to just let them let it happen uh, and accept that it might be bad. But it better be a very small percentage of the content because it, it might make the audience mad. So that's what surprised me most. What um, I'm a fan of Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey. And so yes. I'm always you know, well, I hear these really great stories all the time, but I'm always looking for the dragon because there's a dragon lurking somewhere in the story. What, what's the biggest dragon for TEDx Fulton Street? Well, it wants to eat my entire life. And, um, <laughs> so it's, it's just the total consumption. It, it is, and, and I would like nothing more than to pour my life into it, but, um, uh, but I am, uh, I, I'm not retired. Um, right. So right. Uh, I'm not retired and it doesn't earn money. So. Um, so rationing my time uh, carefully enough to produce a quality event that I'm willing to put my name on, and uh, but at the same time um, making it consume a sane amount of time, is um, that's uh, that's the balance. So the then what's in it? You know, if we know what's in it for all the team, and you're articulating that as you're bringing new people on because you lose some, you got to bring new ones on, and you've got to do that. The the yeah. what's in it for me is that's a conversation we have to have with everyone what's in it for you it's um, an opportunity to have great conversations with some of the most interesting people in the world yeah, um, you know, everyone takes my call when I say I'm, I'd like to talk to you about doing a TED, uh, TEDx talk isn't that interesting it's uh, the same with the podcast you can it's yeah. just one of those easy can I get you on the show it's like yes of course when when are we doing that um, with advice, because you've done this a few times now, there's advice for the first timer, but what piece of advice would you give to that veteran? Because as you know, there's so much that we have to do and we learn, it's, you know, it's a school of hard knocks and all that's very steep learning curve. What, would, what advice would you give a, a veteran 
who's going to go, oh, I hadn't even thought of that. Okay, well, so I'm, I'm assuming that the veteran is putting a lot of energy into making sure that the speakers are themselves fascinating and not just the subjects we're talking about. That's my pet peeve. I think what makes a bad TED bad is when someone wants to just ramble about their ideas who, just, who has not been a world changer. I, I'm, I'm giving the benefit of the doubt, assuming that someone is already putting their effort into okay. making the yep. speakers okay. worthwhile. Right? I would say that the, the advice for the veteran is fire yourself. And what I and what I mean by that is um, is you are probably the type of person who feels that they're the best one at doing most of the tasks at hand, and you've probably you're probably carrying a lot of the burden, whether it's supervision or actually doing the work. Um, and the uh, because there's an infinity of work to uh, uh, to to be done, if you're involved with ordering the merch and doing the type layout on the banners and making the website and calling every speaker and screening every talk and and writing every ad for every, I mean, if you're doing you'll all die. of that, yeah, you'll die, and you won't do a very good job of any of that. So. Um, so really, whatever it is that you think you're the only one who can do it, you're not. So find someone, right? So find someone who can help. It takes, it, 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 however much energy you're investing in building your team, put more in there, um, because that will free you to spend as much time as you want on the things that you're the most passionate about. You know, if you want to do only curation, then make sure that every last task is is addressed by somebody else so that it doesn't need your time and energy. You know, I, I love that. It's um, what's interesting in the conversations I've been having, everybody has a different slant on it, which is what I think makes it so interesting and diverse. And I'm, you know, looking forward to talking to even more people. I'm looking forward to going to Ted Fest and meet a lot of the organizers there and uh, can't wait to talk to Africa and Asia and just exactly. I mean, what other community is there that is as high stakes as ours is, as visible as ours is? I mean, the work that we do ends up on camera and gets viewed by tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. And who doesn't mm -hmm. want to do that? I mean, that's, you know, you're making a difference, right? I feel like I'm making a difference. Um, it really is. And, and 100,000 views of a TED Talk is, is very different from 100,000 views of a music video because somebody who watches, you know, or a cat video, I mean, somebody who watches a TED Talk, you know, you have, you have tweaked their mind. You yeah, have you have. Impacted another human. We, um, when I'm coaching other organizers, because that's what I do in my spare time, of which I don't have a lot, I try to explain to them that you're creating a television studio that has oh, yes. a live audience and has everything about that. Because they, the first timers have never done it. They don't know. It's like, hey, they got a license. They got a couple of speakers. Oh, what do you mean we need hair and makeup? What do you mean I have to have lights? What do you mean? I mean, there's, again, that, that checklist has got 500 things on it. And I will say, do you think that they would do that on the Jimmy Kimmel show? Oh, yeah, they probably would have a stage manager. They probably would have someone. Get, I mean, we start thinking about it. In fact, that is is true. Um, I want to I want to finish with because uh, I know our organizer who's listening is really busy. And if I get 30 minutes of their brain, I'm super happy. It's yes, called thank you for your time. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it, it's you know, it's hacking the red circle. And I think of hacking as um, the uh, politically correct word for that is value engineering, which is, you know, how to. <laughs> How do we get, how do we produce a, you know, a quarter of a million dollar show for $50,000 or 
$15,000. I mean, there's all levels. There's no magic number you have to hit. So I think you have to learn how to hack a ton of different things to make it work. What's your, yes. what's your best hack? Okay. Um, I'm, I'm really glad you asked this because uh, this one, it's, it's easy and people overlook oh, it, awesome. um, I think. Um, and uh, the, the answer is, um, uh, is work with schools, find schools. Oh. Um, the, of the, uh, of the, the expenses in producing a, the, one of these events, I mean, I found that pretty much the big ones are venue, food service, video production. Those are, those are big numbers. And the food service might be a little optional, but uh, in New York City, where I am, nobody's donating a venue for free. That just right. doesn't happen. Right. Right. In some parts of the country or the world, you can get that. But, but um, yeah, not here. Um, but um, but uh, the video production, is, for instance, is a very substantial uh, cost. And uh, the way that we get ours done is by, through a partnership with a, local, uh, with a local community college that has a film program. And the way that this works and gives value to everyone is that um, so the students have a very hard time getting experience on live video equipment because right. Uh, right, no one wants to the Jimmy Kimmel show won't let somebody who's never touched a camera do it on the air. Right. Um, so this is an opportunity to do that. The professors have a requirement in order to uh, to earn and hold their positions. They're required to donate a fraction of their time to community service. So they right. actually have a hard time finding suitable not-for-profits that they can donate their time to. Um, and they have a responsibility oh. for finding job opportunities for students. So, um, you know, so we end partner up getting... Partner with a school. Partner with a school. And, and I said it for video production because that's our biggest expense, but you can find students in graphic design who will do your brochures and students who will do your photography. And the, the rule of thumb for working with junior people, if you haven't done it before, um, I mean, in my business, I've hired interns a lot, so I, sure. I know what it means. Sure. What it means. Um, you can't hold them to the same standards that you would hold a high-priced professional. You know, the student photographer might bring the wrong lens or forget to have backup batteries or set, use the wrong settings on the camera and, and botch it. You know, like things like that happen, and, and you can't really be mad at them either. It's not that's not fair. So. You know, the rule for students is make sure you're providing them with a learning experience, right. meaning expect, expect to train them. Um, don't assume that, they're, that they have experience, right? You are their experience. So, yes, right. so expect to train them. Make sure they have the right equipment. You might have to you know, find a rental place, although many schools will give students very right. good access. Right. And, um, and double up. If I want to have a good, uh, good photographer at an event and I'm using students, I might have three. Um, right. Because uh, someone's going to forget the batteries, and someone's right. going to be focused. And but between the three of them, you know, someone like someone will get it right. I, um, I so love that. I'm uh, I'm actually working closely with the university here because the themes, the things that I'm looking for, is some hard science that I don't think exists. And so I'm going to go okay. work with the the research professors and say, help me find those people right and uh the same with the college i love i love that idea what a great hack what um what are you looking forward to most in uh your next event <laughs> um you know we've been doing uh, I'm, I'm interested in um in the, some of the changes taking place in media i've been doing a lot of work in 360 video for instance oh. uh, and i'm trying to i think the the power of of, uh, of VR, whether it's 360 or, or, or in some other form, uh, the power to create intimacy and the feeling mm -hmm. of presence 
is uh, is really very extreme. But at the same time, the art form is totally immature. I mean, the equipment doesn't work. The software is right. expensive and buggy with no no instructions. I mean, the um, there's no established canon. You know, like it's if you want to know how to set up a three camera interview, um, you can get any first semester film student will show you where you're supposed to put the lights and the cameras. And it's it's just it's a it's a mature art form that's that's well understood. But in 360, it's the wild west. Nobody knows what to do. Um, but I've been experimenting with it a lot, and um, I think what I'm most looking forward to is seeing what can we do. Can we get that good? Wow. What what wow. can we do? Wow. To, uh, what can we do to give a better sense of presence? That's been my my passion, so I get to experiment with it at the next event. Uh, that is, um, we, we will have another conversation about that because my background was in computer animation and okay, working yeah. at Silicon Graphics and uh, founder of the Wavefront, and so I building those kind of worlds and all of that is uh, kind of in my wheelhouse. So we will sure. definitely have another conversation about that. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you, you know, and your spirit and then all the work that you're doing in your community. I, we know it's thousands of hours. And on behalf of, of all the people who love watching great TED Talks, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Hacking the Red Circle. Have an idea for a guest for the show? Or would you like to tell us your TEDx story? Just drop me a note in an email to mark at hackingtheredcircle.com. Please be sure to rate, write, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Makes a huge difference. And share the show with your team as we seek to grow our audience around the world. Until next time, this is Mark Sylvester, your host for Hacking the Red Circle.